Hey, so before we get started, I'd like to briefly remind you and, and anyone else uh, who might not know about our, our recent challenge presented to us through our studies in Nehemiah. On, on, on September 1st, uh, we uh, will begin reading God's Word daily. Uh, Nehemiah, Ezra, and the other Jewish leaders found that reading what God had already commanded them to do was a great start in returning to God. That, that being said, we'll begin to comb through the Gospels. And, and, if, and if you have time, the rest of the New Testament to, to find what Jesus commands of his disciples. For instance, and this is an easy one, John uh, 13, 34, this is my commandment that you love uh, one another just as I have loved you, right? This this isn't debatable. He says it again in John 15, 17. If you, and if you see something repeated, make a note of it because when God repeats himself, it's it's pretty serious. Sometimes it's not as simple as it's saying, you know, this is my command. So like, for instance, uh, Matthew 4, 17, Matthew tells us that Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So we know Jesus is commanding us uh, to repent. And as a church, we're going to discuss this a little bit every Wednesday and Sunday, just for accountability to make sure that we're all doing it. On the on the 25th, we're going to begin corporately praying and fasting as a church. We'll also continue to read God's word as well as we'll begin a time of daily confession and worship uh, basically till the end of the month. Or And as that draws uh, near, we might organize some corporate prayer nights either here or at our homes once once that gets closer. We'll, we'll get more details out then. Um, why are we doing this? Why is it uh, important? Well, we're doing this because we can see through Nehemiah, specifically chapter 9, the constant repetitive nature of the church. They start out good and living in God's way, only uh, only to get comfortable and leave, and leave God's way, right? They repent, and then they return back to God, and then the cycle starts over. In Nehemiah 9, there, there, there's at least six different moments where this is quoted in their prayer. And while Jesus has delivered us from the law, there are some commands that he gives us in the New Testament that is for his church today. You know, what are they? Well, that's for you to find out. And, you know, again, uh, John 14, 15, right? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Jesus equates loving him through obeying him. Simply put, you, you need to know what his commandments are, right? So you also need to know if you're following them and if the church is following them. And, and I think that's extremely important. In Nehemiah 8, it records uh, that as soon as the people heard the word of God, they realized they were living in a way contrary to what God had asked them. And then they all wept and, and fell to their face. In other words, they repented. And repent basically means to turn around. It literally means to make a 180. The church, come on, it's long overdue in repentance. However, that, 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 that starts in our hearts first. This is why we're taking up this challenge. This is why we're committing ourselves to returning to God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. And my prayer is, is that you will join along with us uh, and be prepared to exchange notes and be prepared to be held accountable. All right, <clears throat> enough of that. Let's get on to the preaching and access. I feel like I have a good word this uh, morning, Exodus chapter two. We're going to be in verses one through 10 this morning. If you got your Bibles, you're going to want to head and open those up right now. And I will read the scriptures for you. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. Uh, when she could hide him no longer, she took him uh, for she she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with uh, bitumen and pitch. Uh, she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what 
uh, would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young woman walked beside the river. She saw the basket amongst the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. She opened it. She saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and, and call you a nurse from the Hebrew woman to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the, the girl went and called the child's mother and Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she brought him to, uh, to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Let's pray real quick before we get going. Father, right now, we just ask that you would take the word that is your word, God, and your stories and, and your history, God, and you would bring great revelation from it to our eyes, God. You would open our ears and open our hearts to the truth that you would make known. And Father, we give you all the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so the story of Moses, it reminds me a lot uh, of the story of Joseph. Maybe not in their experiences. Obviously, those are two different stories. Joseph saves the Egyptians. Moses saves the Jews, two different stories, but there is one common thread centered between the two of them, and that is the sovereignty of God. God's uh, will lies at the center of both stories. He will, uh, his will is to be exacted in both stories from start to finish. For Joseph, it begins with a vision and a series of events that for any other purpose shouldn't have placed him where it would ultimately have placed him. For Moses, his beginning starts out as a treacherous as it gets, right? Sending a three-month-old baby down the river in a handmade basket to a person who by law is supposed to kill all male Hebrew children under the age of three. I don't, I don't think that's wisdom, right? While we might contrive that this was kind of an ingenious plan by Moses' mother, it's still not ideal by any means. Uh, here is the danger, uh, and, and here's the thing where, where God comes in, right? There are no coincidences in this story, only providence. And you're going to hear me use that word a lot as a minister and teacher. It means the protective care of God towards the future. And isn't this what we see here? You can already see God setting up his church here. The chapter literally starts out with the house of Levi. Both husband and wife were of the tribe of Levi. This is the same tribe that God will create the priesthood and set aside for himself. Literally for the Levites, their inheritance from Moses moving forward will be the Lord Almighty. If nothing is coincidence, then we must believe we're born exactly where God wants us to be born, with parents that we have and even siblings that we have. I told Joy as I was studying this story that everyone could only wish to have a sister like Moses. She watched as they placed him into the basket. She watched over him as he floated down the river. She watched as the Egyptians picked the boy up. She took the risk of walking up to Pharaoh's daughter to suggest someone to nurse the child. We could all be so lucky to have a sister like this. And if you think about this whole story and the little, I mean, think about the little bizarreness of it all. They, they have a child in that day illegally. It's supposed to be killed. They sneak it away from the house and then put it into a homemade basket and float it down the river towards the very people that made the law for killing newborn male Hebrew children, only to have them pick it up and then pay the very woman who bore the child to nurse and take care of the child till it was old enough for them to raise. Did you catch that? that they paid Moses' mother to nurse her own child. She got to keep her own child as an infant, and she even got paid by her enemies to do so. Come on. 
That is the providence of God. This is his sovereign hand working over all of it. The prophet Jeremiah once said in Lamentations 3, 37 and 38, he says, who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the most high that good and bad come? So uh, great word there. Under God's sovereign protection, Moses grows into a man, though being raised by the very people he swore to kill off his own kind, right? His mindset is Egyptian not Hebrew. And this is important because the mind of the Egyptian, a free person versus the mind of a slave are different. Moses didn't grow up with the hardships that other Jewish people did. He was seen as Egyptian. However, we know that Moses did know that he was an Egyptian because the story doesn't stop really, does it, right? If you keep reading Exodus chapter 2, 11 through 22, it says, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and he looked on their burdens and he saw an Egyptian Beating a Hebrew, one of his people, he looked this way and that and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. And when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and, and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. And when they came home to their father, uh, Ruel, he said, how is it that you have come home so soon today? And he said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us to water the flock. He said to his daughters, well, then where is he? Why have you left the man? call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with a man and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son and he called his name Gershom for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Okay, one of his people is the phrase that is used to describe the slaves of Egypt. So Moses knew he was Hebrew while he was an Egyptian citizen. He was raised by Egyptians, uh, though like them, and yet uh, with the full consciousness that his kinfolk were slaves and that he was somehow spared that. And I can't imagine how confusing that was for him. I can't help but see the sovereignty of God here too because of how many people would risk losing their livelihood or worse, their life over helping out a slave. Moses hasn't made. I mean, why help? And here's the thing. It's because there's something inside of him that longs for justice. The Lord through the prophet Amos said, I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. Isn't that what we see in the man Moses? Unfortunately, Moses takes things into his own hands, literally. And I can't help but think uh, that, uh, I can't help but think that his thought was that it might change something or, or start some sort of movement. Maybe even it would bring him favor amongst his people, but that backfired too. And they could only see the Egyptian side of him. He didn't know the life of a slave. He hadn't lived amongst them as one of them. He wasn't familiar all that much with God to whom they served. This singular event would be the pivotal moment in his life. The murder of an Egyptian person at the hands of Moses, a Hebrew who had been taken care of by Pharaoh's own daughter is kind of a big deal. It, it, it's got to feel like betrayal. After all, they took care of him. They spared him. They raised him as one of their own. They gave him favor. And this is how he repays them. And so Moses runs, right? He runs for his life because now his life is on the line, right? He's failed. 
His failure would lead him away from the only life he has ever known. He didn't free anyone, not even himself. Because now he's a wanted man. He can't free his people. He can't even free himself from his own consequences. His life is one that is on the run. However, he's got one thing going for him. The sovereignty of God is in play. Moses' failure brings him to a well where he sits and he gathers himself. And here we see in his defense of some women that he has the raw materials of a great man. However, what he needs, he doesn't yet possess. The Egyptians' training was good, but it wasn't necessarily wise. His Egyptian upbringing worked against him. The, the Egyptians took things by force. However, the Jews wouldn't be freed this way. And maybe, maybe the biggest thing that is revealed here is that Moses must be broken before he can be used. Moses had this huge heart to right or wrong, but was defeated. In his defeat, in his failure, he runs away sulking and ultimately settles, moving on with his life and ultimately settling with the idea that he's failed. This singular moment of failure would ultimately cause him to be humbled. Come on, finally, a man God can use, right? You remember the words of the Apostle James and James 4, 6, and, and, and even verse 10, he says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will give he will, uh, he, will he will give you up in honor, right? Here, it, here is the molding ground for which God can use you. God uses the humble to accomplish his will and exact his plans. And if he, he needs to, he'll make a person humble. Why? Because he loves us too much to let us uh, uh, sin in, in our pride and our selfishness. We, he doesn't want us to sit there like, like many other scholars of Exodus, I'm, I'm, I'm also under the same idea that God had to get some of that Egyptian out of Moses before he could be used, right? Moses had a plan, but it wasn't God's plan, and so it failed. Moses had the heart to do what's right. He just lacked the wisdom and the humility to carry it out. I'm going to say that again. Moses had the heart to do what's right, but he lacked the wisdom and humility to carry it out. He lacked the Lord's guidance. Throughout this entire book, we can see the hand of God always at play, even in Pharaoh. Even the wicked have their part to play in God's plan. Why? Uh, well, from the book of Ezekiel to the apostle Paul in Romans, the reason's always been crystal clear so that we may know that I am the Lord, is what Ezekiel says, that God says, this is how the sovereignty of God works. It, it's real simple. And, and, and we'll kind of close with this. The sovereignty of God works like this. Your parents are who they are so that you will know that I am the Lord. Your siblings, your brothers, your sisters, you, they are who they are so that you will know that I am the Lord. You live where you live so that you will know I am the Lord. Your job was given to you so that you will know that I am the Lord. Your successes are so that you will know that I am the Lord. Your defeats are so that you will know I am the Lord. Your failures are so that you will know I am the Lord. Your victories are so you will know I am the Lord. Your healthiness is so that you are so that you will know I am the Lord. And your sickness is so that you will know I am the Lord. And your healing comes from so that you will know I am the Lord. Remember the quote we say a lot. It's from A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer says this, God is waiting to be wanted. 
He wants us to know him. He wants you specifically to know him. And to this cause, it is our aim to know the Lord and for him to know us. Father, right now, we just thank you for your word. We pray that it will be a seed to our heart. And God, you will use it to plant many more seeds so that your kingdom enlarges according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen.